I'd just like to start by saying it's, an, it's such an honor to be entrusted uh, to speak the Lord's word uh, to the congregation this morning. To, com- uh, to be completely honest, it's very humbling and somewhat terrifying. But uh, I have assurance that in my weakness, the Lord is strong. So before we get started, I'd just like to say a prayer, please. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity to share your word, Father. Lord, you've given me the word. I just pray that you would anoint me to speak it, Father. Let your grace be upon me. I yield my vessel for your using, Father. I thank you for the prayers of the saints, Father, that are with me and that have prayed me through, Father. So it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, I'd like to start with the verse in Proverbs. It says, For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So as I was getting ready a couple of weeks ago, and Pastor asked me to speak, it's, where do you start? He, uh, we had just finished the fight series, and he just kind of said there was nothing for the summer. He's like, just whatever the Lord gives you. How many of you know the Bible is a pretty big book? And so it's just wondering where to go, and, and it's, it's amazing to see how he ties everything together. Um, so... For me, correction is a sign of love. When the Lord corrects me, and Hebrews 12:11 says, "No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening; it's painful, but afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way." And so, while I was thinking about that. I have a little one-year-old girl, and uh, her new thing is to throw things in the toilet. If you don't see her for less than five minutes and you start looking around and the bathroom door's open, she's in there playing and splashing around, right? And it, it's very hard for me to want to discipline in, in, in that area. She's so cute and it's innocent. She doesn't know any better. And, but at the same time, this morning on the way here, I was thinking about it. If I, would, if I would just video camera her instead of discipline her, when she's older, how would she think about that? You just let me play in the toilet? You know, that's disgusting, the toilet. What happens there, right? So I think it's the same way with the Lord. We'll be doing something that could be innocent and fun, and and he just comes in and and brings his discipline upon us, and we don't enjoy it at the time. But later on, I think we're, we're very grateful and thankful for that. So last week, Pastor preached a powerful message about our responsibility as the church and as parents, to reach forward and lead the next generation in the ways of the Lord. And in order to properly lead the next generation, I think we must firmly be sure that we're in the faith. By letting scripture examine the thoughts and motives of our hearts, thus revealing the condition of our soul and our spirit. So like Ms. Jennifer said yesterday in the parenting class that they had here at church, Sometimes we've got to first put the flashlight on us and examine ourselves, especially if we're going to lead others. So in doing that, I would like to take a look at uh, Revelations 3, which is a letter to the church of Laodicea. Uh, John was exiled on the, the island of Patmos, and while he was there, he had a vision, and the Lord told him to write down this vision and it was, he wrote seven letters to the churches of Asia. The one to the church of Laodicea is undoubtedly the most sobering and solemn. 
In fact, it's the only church that he doesn't commend for any good works. In the seven letters, he, he usually starts off with, I see your works, and, and he, he talks about some good that the church is doing. Then he'll, he'll come into some things that they've let come into the church, and then he gives them some counsel, some correction. Well, with this particular church, he just goes straight into uh, what he sees and correcting, and there's no good works. Some theologians believe symbolically the Laodicean church presents a picture of the last day's church before Christ's return. So with this picture in mind, Jesus' words are just as relevant today to the church and to us individually, especially if we're going to lead the next generation. For a better understanding of the book of Revelations, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to read that book. Doug, I know you, you're a big studier of the book of Revelations. You have to have some uh, historical context, a little background of the, the area and the culture of that time. So I'd like to start there. In uh, what is now modern-day Turkey, there once stood three cities, Laodicea, Colossae, and Heropolis. They were all part of the Roman province of Asia. Heropolis and Laodicea stood six miles apart, while the Lycus River flowing between them uh, separated them. Colossae was located 10 miles upriver on the same side. So they basically were three cities real close together in, in uh, what is now modern-day Turkey. Laodicea prided themselves on three main industries. Uh, they sat on a crossroads of two major trade routes, and therefore they became very wealthy through its banking and commerce. Throughout the, the Roman times, the city was one of the wealthiest in the province of Asia. In AD 60, a great earthquake destroyed the city, but its citizens were so rich and independent that they refused help from the Roman government. Some, some history even says that they sent the money back. So all them stimulus checks that they got in the mail, they, they were so rich, they just said, we don't want them, and they gave them all back, right? Well, I don't have that problem. They also prided themselves in, on the garment industry. Uh, they had uh, sheep in the area, which produced a, a, a very fine wool that was a, a black wool. Uh, they got it from the surrounding area, so they made their own clothes and, and garments and fine linens. They also prided themselves on their, their medicine and their medical school. It was home to the region's renowned school of medicine. Uh, especially for the creation of an eye salve used for treating various eye diseases. The city's doctors became so wealthy that some of their names appeared on the coins. So that's the three areas in which they prided themselves. Banking, garment industry, and in medicine. As self-reliant as they were, there was one area that held them back. The city was completely dependent of external, of of internal water sources, so they were completely dependent of water sources from, without, uh, from the outside of the city. They relied on a complex system of aqueducts for the water to be piped in. This made them very vulnerable to attack. If an enemy surrounded the city, the supplies and water coming into the city could easily be cut off. And therefore, the leaders of Laodicea were always accommodating to any potential enemy and always wanted to negotiate and compromise instead of fight. So, so that's a little history of, of Laodicea. They were very rich. 
very prosperous. They had three main industries. Uh, and the one thing they lacked was a, was a source of water that they had to rely on others. And because of that lack, it made them very vulnerable in accommodating and negotiating and open to compromise. That's not a good place to be, just those three things. If we negotiate and compromise, it's not good. Uh, so today I would like to unpack this letter by answering three questions about the Church of Laodicea. And in the process, I would like us to consider the possibility of this being a personal letter written to each of us. So the first question I'd like to answer is, what does Jesus see and know about the church of Laodicea? If you're following along, we'll be in Revelation 3, starting in verse 15. He says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Some translations say spit. So that's how he starts off with, with the letter there. And I, I titled the, the message the Lord gave me, A Love Letter from Jesus. And when I read that first verse, like, hmm, I don't know how many love letters you got in your day that started off with, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. But... I guess God has a sense of humor sometimes. So this is how he sees the church. First he says, I know all the things you do. If you just think about that. Or some translations say, I know all your works. That in itself. Sometimes we, we, we have this illusion that we can do things without anyone knowing. Right? That nobody's looking. And, and the Lord says, I see everything you're doing. And I know why you're doing them. Even if other people don't, I know why you're doing it. And, and sometimes it's for the good, the right reason. Sometimes it's not. Um, lukewarmness is a picture of compromise, self-reliance, and moral indifference. It tries to play the middle, conforming to the world, while having a form of godliness. Or like James says it, they're only hearers of the word and not doers of the word. So the, the best way that I can understand it and interpret it sometimes is uh, you hear people, they like to ride the fence. Or they, there's this gray area. And, and I think with the Lord, there's, there's no gray area. It's pretty cut and dry, right? There's no fence riding. You're either in the world or you're out of the world, Right? And I think we live in a culture and a society that's, eh, it's okay. You know, it, they, they try to, to soften it up. And, and as we begin to study this letter, I think we can see that that's exactly what happened to this church. This picture of lukewarmness would, would immediately connect with the Christians of Laodicea because the one thing their great wealth couldn't provide was a natural supply of water. So when you think, when they were thinking of lukewarmness, when the Lord used that and vomit, just you think about if you've ever gone to get a glass of water or a drink of water on a hot day, and you thought it was cold, but it really wasn't. Yo, they'll spit that out your mouth real quick, right? I did that last night. I seen a cup on the table that had some ice. I thought it was cold water. It was Sprite, and I don't drink Sprite. Oh, man, what is that? My wife said, just some Sprite. Yeah, but I don't like Sprite. 
I, I was expecting some cold water, and it was Sprite. So it's, it's the same thing. So they would immediately connect it with that, with that letter and, and the, the lukewarmness of their water because that's the one thing that they, they couldn't get no matter how rich they were. Their water came from the two nearest cities. Heropolis, six miles to the north, was home to a hot spring with therapeutic uh, healing mineral water. Colossi was 11 miles to the south, and they enjoyed pure, refreshing, cool water of the Lycus River. When the waters from these two cities reached the Laodiceans, it was anything but healing and refreshing. Rather, it was lukewarm, calcified, and somewhat nauseous. So we can see that Jesus was using a metaphor that cuts very deep for the Laodiceans. They had become lukewarm, like their water, and they wasn't fulfilling their kingdom purpose. So in essence, he's saying, if you were hot, I could use you. If you were cold, I could use you. But since you're neither, I can do nothing. And I've heard this a couple of different ways translated, that hot was good, cold was bad, you know. It, but then I studied and, and I began to do research, and I think the Lord gave me this particular scripture for a reason, because I, I'll, I'm going to go up and down, in and out, and round and round to, to really get understanding of what the Lord is trying to say. And recently they had some, uh, they discovered the different tunnels going into Laodicea of water and that they actually had two different water supplies. A hot one and a cold one. So it wasn't as if he was saying, I'd rather you not even love me or, or be with me as cold, but rather you've lost your refreshing. The, the church is supposed to be a place where you can come and get healing where you may get, receive a, a hard word, a hot word that, that cleanses your soul. Or if you've just been beat down by the world, you can come in here and get hope and refreshing, right? Like a cold drink of water and, and just walk out uplifted and refreshing. And, and they weren't fulfilling that. I also believe that if we are still alive and breathing on this earth today, then Jesus has something for us to do. There's something for us to do in the kingdom. And if we are not doing that, if we're not doing our part, then the body suffers. If, if there's a lack in our church, it's because someone is not doing what they're called to do. For whatever reason that is. And the body's going to suffer because the gifts the Lord has given you are not being used in the ministry. They're not being used to build up the body, to care for the body. The temperature of the water supply was not the problem. Their problem was the distance from the source. So a question, how close are we to the source of living water.
John 15, 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. The further we get from the source, the further our relationship gets pushed away from Christ, the less effective we can be. And we begin to, to get into lukewarmness. John 14, 4 says, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them internal life. So the, the, same, the very thing they're, they're importing in, he says, if you come to me, I'm the source. And it will begin to come from within you, not, with, not from an external source. So, so that's for each of us. If we begin to become lukewarm or, or getting distant from the source, then, then we're going to be falling in our kingdom purposes. Question number two I have is, what does Jesus have against the church? So just number one, what does he see? He sees they're lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. They're not fulfilling their purpose. What does he have against the church? It says, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Hello. That's another good love letter right there, right? Laodicean means judgment of the people. So what we're, what we're having right here is we're seeing two di different judgments. How they're judging themselves and how the Lord is judging them and sees them. How, how, how many of you know sometimes we can have a, a high opinion of ourselves? But the same is true. Sometimes we can have a very low opinion of ourselves. And the enemy will use either one of those to stop us from fulfilling our purpose and growing. Worldly riches cloud spiritual vision. I'm just going to say that one more time. Worldly riches can cloud our spiritual vision. When we as Christians lose our complete dependence on Jesus, the relationship begins to suffer. Culture and carnality begin to seep into our lives. They thought of themselves as being spiritually rich, blessed of God, in need of nothing. They didn't need any more of Jesus. They had everything they needed. What a dangerous place to be. Right? I have everything I need. I go to church on Sunday. That's good. I don't need to be in a life group. I don't need to go to Miss Jennifer's parenting class. I know how to, I got three kids. I know how to be a parent. They knew it all. They didn't need anything else. The three areas in which they prided themselves is what caused them to be deceived in their relationship with Jesus and blind to their spiritual poverty. See, they thought because they were, they were blessed 
in the worldly ways. They were very rich. One of the greatest, richest cities of ancient times. Because they had need of nothing. They had medicine, clothes, shoes. Come on. How many of you got food to eat, clothes to wear, and you're healthy? Who needs God? Right? There's no dependency. There's no desperation, per se. But in reality, the banks had left them wretched, miserable, and poor. Their fine linen and clothing industry could not cover their nakedness. And their famous doctor's eye salve couldn't heal their blindness. What's so dangerous about uh, the lukewarmness that the Laodiceans were in is that they were the most qualified to see it, but they were blind to it. So much so that the Lord had to send a vision to John on the, the, the island of Patmos while he was in prison to tell them, because there was nobody else who can tell them. I don't think it, it, it's just a choice we make. It's something we gradually slip into. One compromise at a time. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. So these, these people were headed to, to a dark place if, if they don't, didn't receive this word, this letter. So while I was writing this, um, like I said, it, it was hard to try to come up with a topic. So I just prayed that the Lord would just give me a word. Lord, what is it that you want me to hear, study, learn? And, and I'll just share that. And so this is what he given me. And, and just like these Laodiceans, I can say, man, this, is this for me? Am I lukewarm? Right? This, this must not, I'm not hearing God right. So I, I keep trying to listen and study, and, and then it just comes in, in multiple ways, through my wife, through, through uh, daily devotionals that I have, and this is the scripture. So there was no getting away from it, so I just began to examine myself and ask the Lord, uh, where in my life could this have, have crept in, like he says? How many of you ever heard of uh, Dave Ramsey Financial Peace, right? Been through it. Uh, me and my wife probably been doing it for about two years. Good system. And... Like I said, the Lord just brought this to my spirit, and he's, it, 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 it does that. It brings you peace financially. It, it shows you how to, how to debt snowball and then how to start preparing for the future and, and putting the money away for different funds. I, I, don't, I can't tell you how many funds we got. I got a fund for the, if the vehicles break down. I got a fund for clothes, if, you know, school fund. I got a fund for everything that could possibly happen. I got a fund. Whenever my, my last child was born, you know, we made a, a family decision for my wife to stop working. 
that's losing income. But because I had this system set up, we were prepared for it. Great. Financial peace. Listen, if your wife is, is comfortable with the finances, life is good. <laughs> that, that, that is a big stress in marriage is finances. And how are we going to spend these finances and budget these finances? These kids have wants. I have wants. The, the, the wife has wants. But how do many of you know that if I begin to trust in the system, then I'm losing my dependence on the Lord? And, and man, that, that humbled me. Because listen, this is a, they, it's, it's biblical principles. He uses biblical principles for this system. But it's still a system. And the Lord just showed me how my zeal toward relying on him for finances began to get lukewarm and I began to believe in this system and trust in the system more than him. And I don't know if y'all are like me, but I'm like, Lord, I need an example. You know, I, I hear you, but can you give me an example? And so it's starting to get really warm out there, right? So I used to get off the lawnmower and be walking into the house and I can hear my air conditioner kick off, boom. I mean, Lord, let that air conditioner make it this summer. You know, just, just praying over my air conditioner, praying over the lawn, praying over everything I had that nothing would break because I didn't have all these funds set up. So I was totally dependent upon the Lord. Same thing I, with, I have an HSA, a health savings account that's set up through my company. Two or three years ago, they, they were rolling this out in order to get people to join. They would they, they give you $1,500 to, to start off in there. And so we, we, I prayed about it. And the Lord just very simple. You'd rather pay $250 a month or $40 a month. That's simple. I want the $40. The thing about the HSA is you're going to pay all your deductibles and everything, but you're not going to pay more than a set amount a year, which was like $6,000. So no matter what happened, $6,000 was the most I was going to pay. So it was about building up that $6,000, and then I'm covered. Well, after two or three years of having that account, I was able to, to get it covered. My wife was able to have a, our child, $6,000. That's it. Boom. Now you've got to build it back up. But in the same way, I began to get comfortable in the fact that if anything happens, we're covered. I got it. I got, that, I got that deductible already met. It's in the account versus rebuking every cold that tries to come to my house. You can ask Brendan and them. In the men's Bible study, I was re- the, the flu comes to die at my house. You know, it, it may come in, but it ain't leaving. It's dying. And it's just those small ways that the Lord showed me if we begin to Trust in these systems. They're not bad systems. They're very good. It's good to have financial peace. But it's not good to be so comfortable that I forget who's my real provider. And it's just very, very, very subtle. You don't wake up one day and say, I want to be lukewarm. And, and still doing the things of the Lord. Is, is where, why it's so dangerous? 
It's not like they stop going to church. They stop participating. It's an internal heart thing that takes over. I'm not dependent upon the Lord like I was. Like he said to the other church, return to your first love. I'll share one more story. So uh, I think three years or four years ago now, I was able to, to purchase a truck. This is pre-Dave Ramsey. This is how I was able to get my wife to join Dave Ramsey. I've, I've, I've studied it. So with, with my wife, it's, it's plant a seed, and you've got about a two-year germination process that takes place. And so I, I began to hear of Dave Ramsey. I did some studying, and I'm like, man, it sounds good. I don't want to be in debt. I don't want to have to do these things. Well, I had a single cab truck, and, and now my family had grown. I had two boys, and we would like to go to the camp, and we'd have to take my wife's vehicle if we all wanted to go in one vehicle. So I just began to pray, and I brought my boys in. Every time we go, we pray, Lord, bless us with a truck that we, within our finance ranges that will run good, and, and we just believe God for two years. And, and my wife was... She didn't study Dave Ramsey. She didn't know. She was just like, you're never going to get a truck. If we're going to buy a truck without getting a loan, we're never going to get it. Long story short, we was able to get a truck. Then about two years after I got that truck, on Father's Day, coming home from church, we pull up in the driveway, and my truck is not there. First thing I hear is like, who did I let borrow my truck? Right? Thought about it? Nobody. Who's that crazy friend who just came get the truck? I don't have those anymore. <laughs> Got rid of those friends, right? Because I used to have them. And then it's just, you come to this realization, my truck just got stolen. And listen, we had just got back, we went get at some boudin, uh, boudin barbecue right here at Allison's. I smelt it the whole way home. I wanted to get home and, and start eating some Allison's barbecue. So that's what I did. My wife was like, what are you doing? I'm going to eat. I mean, what, what, what are we going to do? Right? I mean, there's nothing I can do right now. I'm going to go eat. And at this time, uh, the Evangeline Parish Sheriff's Office was not in a good place. They was in the, the paper every other week for broke or corruption, whatever it may be. It just wasn't a dependable system, put it that way. So that, that puts you in a place of desperation. And I, I had shared so many times with people, with my men's group or wherever, about how the Lord had blessed me with that truck. It was one of the first things that me and my boys came together, and it was such a beautiful thing. We, we prayed and we believed God and the, the, the right things happened. And even though Pastor wouldn't know it, it's an awesome truck. It's a GMC. He's a Ford guy. So I'm not a particular guy like that. It doesn't matter. I just wanted a, a dependable truck. But there's something about it that I, I just feel like the glory of God is upon that vehicle. People tell me all the time how that's such a nice truck. So you know what that is? Let me tell you about how I got that truck. Right? And I would just begin to share my story. So the first thing, when that happened, I said, Lord, I don't want to lose this testimony. How many people have I told 
about your blessing me and my family, my boys? How do I tell them? Something that the Lord has given us has been taken. And I just began to call it back. I, we did call the sheriff. They came over. You got cameras? Nope. Was it unlocked? Yep. I'm an idiot. Okay. So I did have to get wisdom. But it was just going into my secret place and calling on the Lord. Lord, I don't, these, these cops ain't going to bring it back. They didn't give it to me. I trust you that you will, you will not lose your testimony because it wasn't my testimony, it was his. And in that, in that moment, faith just came upon me. And that's what, that supernatural faith where you just know it's going to happen. And, and my wife was distraught. Um, and my little boy kept wanting to go to Walmart to buy some action figure with his birthday money or something. And she was like, no, that's it. I said, that's exactly what we need to do. Let's go. Got in the vehicle, we went. And, and when we got to Walmart, I put it in park. I said, look, babe, I don't know how, but I sit here in, in amazement of how are you going to do it, Lord? I know you're going to do it. How? I trust you. And, and you become like a kid who, who knows something's going to happen, but you're not sure how it all works and how it's going to happen, but it will happen. And in less than 48 hours, that, that truck was back in my driveway. I called the cops and told them where my vehicle was so they can go get it. I went and prayed with the sheriffs, prayed with the secretary. When they found that I had some baseball equipment, I was coaching a team, all-star team, and they, they had threw it out somewhere, and somebody found it, so they called me, and I went and I picked it up, and I was going to leave the Lord. I said, why don't you just go stop by the sheriff's office and just talk with him? He told me how they lacked resources and underfunded and just all this, and so I just prayed with him, blessed his family, prayed protection over him. And I told the, the woman on the way out, said, it'll be all right. I'll see you again. They're going to find it. Forty minutes later, I was back over there. She said, you said it. I said, isn't God good, right? But it was that total dependency upon God. I couldn't go back and get it. And it's when we start to distance ourselves from that, separate ourselves from that, due to worldly success or whatever it may be, that we begin to get in a dangerous place. Matthew 19 says it like this. I tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not that being rich is a bad thing, it's just got distractions. We begin to, to riches will begin to take up your time and distract you. And if you begin to lose those riches in some way, it can cause you to begin to compromise your values. Man judges based on outward appearance, God investigates the heart. How many times? It could be a good thing 
a very godly thing to be in poverty and broken before the Lord. So is there a country or a region in the world today known for wealth and prosperity? Having easy access to any manufactured good? I can order something right now from this phone. Renowned for the world's best medicines, doctors, hospitals. Y'all know a nation like that? How easy could it be to fall into the same lukewarmness of the Laodiceans? They, their doctors became famous because of their medicine, that eye salve. The pharmaceutical industry is the richest industry by far in the nation today. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. The world is always at peace with a lukewarm church, and such a church is always pleased with itself. So what does Jesus want the church to do? So what does he have? How does he see the church? Lukewarm, not fulfilling their purpose. What does he have against the church? They're, uh, <laughs> they need nothing. They're naked. But how, he, how they see themselves as needing nothing, he sees them as naked, wretched, poor, and blind. So what does he want them to do? Revelations 3, 18 and 19. It says, I counsel you. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. It just gives a little more context. It says, I counsel you to buy from me gold that has been heated, red hot, and refined by the fire, so that you may become truly rich, and white clothes representing righteousness, to clothe yourselves so that the shame of your nakedness will not be seen, and healing salve to be put on your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I dearly and tenderly love, I rebuke and discipline, showing them the faults and instructing them. So be enthusiastic and repent. Change your inner self, your old ways of thinking, your sinful behavior, and seek God's will. So there it is. Those I rebuke, I love. So, so that's how we can know that God loves us, is that he... He's willing to discipline us and show us our faults. So what is he asking to do? Buy of me. Buy of me. I take that as, you know, desire his anointed presence in prayer and meditate on his word that we may see. That the first thing that starts to go is your prayer life. Like I mentioned earlier, when I, financial peace and, and my HSA, the first thing that, that began to happen is that, that zeal and that fervency I had in my prayer life toward those areas, finance and, and health, is the first thing that, that began to slowly fade away. You know, I, I prayed about things that people would thought I was crazy, which is good. 
That's the way the world thinks. When I'm no longer challenging the world's ways and I'm no longer making worldly people feel uncomfortable, then I'm becoming like them. And that's the last thing we want. We, we don't like to make people uncomfortable. We don't like to be different, an outsider. I struggled with that my whole life. I was different. Always wanted to just fit in, blend in, not stand out. And I worked hard to do that, only to realize I need to go back the other way, figure out how to go back and, and be separate and different. But it, that's, that's the first easy check. Is this word for me? How's your prayer life? What are you praying for? Are you praying for the things you used to pray for? Now, I, I heard uh, Elizabeth say yesterday about Travis, how he's just, there's something they're believing God for. And man, he just, pray. I pray, but man, he prays. And it was like, man, I, I, I missed that. And this, this message was right in my heart, and it was like, it was like the Lord was saying, that used to be you. Praying for that. Whatever it was you was believing for, just never ceasing. You know, it says to pray without ceasing. That means while I'm driving, while I'm just thanking God, believing God. How are you going to do it? Expecting. Because how many of you know his ways ain't our ways? His thoughts ain't our thoughts. It says we can't even think or imagine the plans he has. And, and that's when I become like that child, just, how are you going to do it, Lord? I'm waiting. I, I'm, I'm just excited. I, I, it's like you're just waiting at the, at the candy store, a little kid. Or like Brendan, waiting for ice cream. <laughs> we must be willing to be refined in the fire of trial and tribulation allowing self to be burned up that Christ may be seen. They were self-reliant. We don't need no help. We have everything. I can do it. I don't need no help. I got it. Like I said, we don't, I don't need to go to a parenting class. I raised three kids. I know how to parent. You don't have any grandkids? Pastor's talking about leading the next generation, offered a free class up here to come learn how to be better stewards of the gifts that God has given us. And I recommend, there's going to be another one. And I recommend everyone go. If, if you have influence over some type of, of, of child, grandchild, great-grandchildren, your children, it'd be a good thing to learn. And I think uh, Ms. Jennifer is also going to set up um, Hearts of Hope, to come and, and educate us in some areas with um, abuse and, and sex trafficking and just other things that kids can get snared up in, how us as parents, as guardians, can guard them from that. And also, if that happened, to give them the help that they need. Because it's happening, people. The enemy is taking the next generation. And we are the only thing that stands in between that. The church, parents, people, us.
not the school system, not the government. Buy of me. Matthew 6.23 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things. So it's, it's about keeping God in his rightful place. Seeking his kingdom, his will, and he's going to provide everything you need. What he told his disciples, go. Take nothing with you. No money, no nothing. No change of clothes, nothing. Take nothing with you. Go. I'm going to provide. How many of you know that eliminates a lot of distractions? Like if you just say, hey, go on vacation. Don't worry about it. Just go. I ain't got to pack nothing. You know, to me, that's the, that's the, the, the crux of the whole vacation. How I'm going to fit everyone and everything I need into this vehicle. And it becomes a puzzle. Like Tetris, you know, you're sitting there here, here. You're moving kids around, you know. Be zealous, fervent, and repent. Repenting is just turning back to God. Lord, forgive me for believing in this system and getting comfortable because I can see all my funds set up for every emergency possible. Forgive me for that. And let me remember that you are my true source. Because listen, the way they have it set up, they make it challenging. Every dollar you get, you can pay off a debt or, or, or get that fund built up, you know, and it becomes a challenge to where maybe I can miss what I'm supposed to bless because I'm so focused on this and getting my funds funded, paying off this debt or, or whatever it may be that the Lord is saying, hey, bless this person and I'm so caught up in this system that I miss an opportunity to bless someone. says no one not one whom God loves escapes chastening we must humble ourselves or we be, we will be humbled it's one thing I know of the Lord he's going to correct you in private and try to call you back but if we continue to turn away he will humble us I'm always so thankful, Lord, I thank you that you discipline me in under covering, that you don't let my nakedness be exposed. How many people got that fear that somebody see you naked, huh? Right? It's just, you, that's, that, that's that reoccurring dream that you're standing somewhere and you realize you're naked. Ah! Everybody's got that dream. One, you know, you either fall in your neck or something, right? But I'm just so thankful that the Lord is not like that. He doesn't want to expose our nakedness, but he does want to cover it. 
Jesus was just saying, turn around. Look at me. Don't look at your own riches, your own resources, because they're all bankrupt. I think we can sum it up kind of like this. Laodiceanism is nothing more than an infective form of worldliness and self-sufficiency in which devotion to Christ deteriorates while attention to the world, its ways, attitudes, and conduct intensifies. The Laodiceans had succumbed to the culture that surrounded them and rather than being transformed in Christ, they were content to remain in that comfortable place. They were caught in this cycle of sinful pride without even realizing that they had excluded Jesus. So the, the only cure for lukewarmness is the readmission of Christ. Somewhere along the way, we've we pushed Christ off and said, I got this. Thank you, Lord. I used to be broke, but now I got all this, this system set up, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I have peace and I'm comfortable. Thank you. I don't need you anymore. It's, we don't literally say that, but that's what's happening. And it begins to create this separation. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That is a pretty strong statement. Because the world's got some nice stuff, right? The world is very glamorous and attractive, and it calls very loud. And, and we have to live in it. We're to be in the world and not part of the world. That is, that is a very hard thing to do. And how, how, it's, it's a lot worse today than when this letter was written. How much more is the world invading our homes, our, our lives, our everyday walk with just this right here? This is the whole world in your pocket. In your kids' hands. He has access to the world and everything in it. C.S. Lewis says that people who don't think they have a problem with pride or worldliness are the ones most likely to be controlled by it. So it's kind of like those people who said, I don't need to go to that parenting class, but them, they need to go. I'll pay for them to go, right? Or when you're in church and you look around and say, hmm, I wish they were here today, right? I don't need to hear this, but they need to hear it. And that's kind of what I was like, like Lord, this message is for me. I don't, you want me to share this? I don't think the church needs to hear this. He's like, I'm telling you, you just share what I'm telling you. It's upon them how they take it. But I, but I warn you, 
if you're in here today and you're saying that this message is not for me, be careful. I think we all have something we can grab from. There's somewhere in our lives we've gotten comfortable. There's somewhere that we said, Jesus, I got this area. You can have all these things, but I'm going to hold on to this. And if you look, that's exactly what he attacked. Their clothing industry said, you're naked. The, the three areas that they prided themselves on, he said, you're poor, you're wretched, and you're blind. That's the three areas that the rest of the world was applauding them on. You got healing eyes have, yet you're blind. One of the richest cities, yet you're poor. The finest garments, yet you're naked. But in all that comes Revelations 3.20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. This is the verse that confirmed it. I looked at this verse and it, after getting all this context, the history and, and really studying this word, and I get to this verse, and it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Man, I just started looking at that. Why is he knocking? Why is he standing at the door? This is the church. One of the wealthiest churches. Sadly, he was outside the church. Knocking to get in. That's sobering, ain't it? He might have been accepted as their savior, but he wasn't allowed to be their king, their lord. Not much of a king without a kingdom. It says the kingdom of God is within you. But if, if I don't let him sit on the throne of my heart, then I'm not in the kingdom of God. I'm not fulfilling the purpose that God has for me in the kingdom. If anyone, anyone, doesn't say if the church opens the door, if anyone hears, that's personal. Because everyone in here represents the church. So if we're going to get a church out of lukewarmness, it starts one person at a time. One. You, you can't fix the whole church. It's one person at a time. And that infective worldliness that had creeped in, now you get this, this fire that begins to burn all that up one by one. And the church becomes alive and healthy and thriving again. 
So what a picture of Jesus' love toward us. And our pride, our self-sufficiency, and in our blindness, he comes to us. He comes to us. We can't go to him, we're blind. He stands. He waits long at the throne of our hearts. He knocks. He uses judgments, mercies, reproofs, exhortations to induce the sinners to repent and turn to him. He lifts up his voice. He calls loudly by his word, by his servants, and by his spirit, and offers the most precious of invitations and the greatest of promises. So he offers to come in and eat with us, dine with us. In the Hebrew context and history, that is the evening meal. And you don't just share an evening meal with anyone. You share it with friends, family. It's very intimate, very personal. And that's what he's wanting. He said, if you open the door, I'm going to come in and we're going to sit and dine together and talk about things and, 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 and get very personal and grow. Whereas maybe we've just been having lunch. Come in, we sit down, grab a quick, how's it going? And then we out. He wants to be more intimate, more personal. Revelations 3.21, it says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So for a church who didn't get any praise for any good works, the worst of all the churches you can say, he gives the greatest reward to sit on his throne with him. In the context of it all, if we take these churches and we put them side by side and all these things, it's like, why do they get to sit on the throne? They've compromised. They've kicked him out. He's not even in the church. That's how great a love he has for us. That is a picture of love. And that's why I consider this a love letter. Because it's calling us out, calling us back. And then offering something that he's not offering to any of the others. The church would probably reject this church. All the other churches would probably judge and criticize and, and have nothing to do with this church. And the Lord says, come, turn back. Buy of me, and I'll grant you to sit on my throne. If we're going to lead the next generation, we must not settle or be content in our relationship with Jesus. We must desire the fullness of Christ. To ascend higher and deeper into his presence and to be transformed into his likeness. I think it's Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the world 
or its ways, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's, it's, it's very simple. I just have to renew my thinking again. My thinking had gotten off course when it comes to certain areas in my life and my walk. He's just saying, turn from that. Renew your mind. Come back. Repent. It always be, begins with repentance, people. We always have to turn from where we was going because he shows us that is error, that is wrong. And then he calls us back. So I don't know where you're at today, how this message hits you, but I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the opportunity that the Lord's given me to, to speak, to handle his word, to be vulnerable and, and share my experiences with you and, and hope that it could help you to examine yourself. Because the charge was to lead the next generation. I didn't even know pastor was, was preaching that message. And then what the Lord gave me began to make more sense. Because I just, I had this and I didn't know what pastor was going to speak. I don't know what anybody else is going to speak this summer. But I just feel like if we're going to lead the next generation in the ways of the Lord, we got to first make sure we're firmly planted. That, that I'm not lukewarm. That I'm not going through the motions. That my religion has not become a hobby. But it's a lifestyle. It's a way of living. It's not something I do. It's who I am. So my hope is that we would all be overcomers. Because how many of you know if I don't overcome, it's going to be very hard for those following me that I'm leading to overcome. And isn't that what we want most? That's why I discipline my children. Because I want them to overcome and be successful and to know the love of God. pray this morning Father I thank you for your word Father I thank you that that you love that you discipline those that you love Father God and Father God that if we are not disciplined and that we are truly not your sons and daughters Father so I take this as a love letter Father and I just I just pray that everyone would hear your words today Lord and that you would just reveal any areas of our lives that we've begun to, to grow lukewarm. Expose any areas or any systems that we begin to believe in that, that we've become less dependent upon you, Father. And Father, just help us to turn. Give us ears to hear you calling and knocking, Father God. Give us the courage to, to open the door and let you in, Father God. That you can expose 
the dross, Father God, that, that we would let your fire refine us, Lord, that we'd be pure gold, covered in your righteousness, and that we'd have the mind and vision of Christ. Then we can lead the next generation. So, Father, I thank you for everyone here. I pray that, the, that your word blesses them and that it does what it, it was intended to do, Father. For we know your word does not return void. So thank you. And it's you that we give all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.